This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. It's 2019, and quote-unquote entrepreneurship is the new buzzword. Almost every human and their dog wants to become the next Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, or Kylie Jenner. But as today's guest reveals, the entrepreneurial journey is far from simple. I'd love to welcome Andrea Bonacetto to the show today. He's a 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 listee and founding partner and CEO of Eterna Capital, an investment fund focused on blockchain. Like most forward-thinking graduates, Andrea desired to build a company of his very own straight after university. Although the company is still running today, Andrea recognised that becoming a successful entrepreneur requires more than just willpower. Instead, the best mindset to have is to focus on solving a problem. I found my conversation with Andrea super refreshing as Andrea demystifies a lot of the work it takes to become an entrepreneur. In this episode, he gives us a peek behind the entrepreneurship curtain and reveals exactly what it takes to start a company. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible Forbes 30 Under 30 listees. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Andrea Bonacetto. Andrea, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the brilliant work you're doing in the blockchain space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you making the time. Thanks. Of course. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So I'm the founding partner and CEO at Eterna Capital. Eterna Capital is uh, an investment fund which is focused specifically on the blockchain. Uh, I started the fund uh, uh, last year with other three guys that used to work at BlackRock here in London. And since then, we've made a few good investments. Uh, you know, we are trying to support the space the best we can. We tend to invest in early stage deals, uh, both in token and equity. So we pretty much operate uh, as a VC. Uh, we are constantly you know, around traveling, sourcing deals and speaking at all the main conferences. Uh, in the space. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we do. Love that. 
And I'm so excited to dive a bit deeper into your work and into Eterna Capital. I think the growth you've had over the last year has been super cool. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I often find to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Okay. So originally I'm Italian. Uh, I was born in Pisa, but I lived uh, most of my life before I came to London in a city called Viareggio, which is like 20 minutes far from Pisa. It's a very small city, 60,000 inhabitants. So it's, I mean, as you can imagine, it's completely another world from London. Uh, you know, by coming here, you appreciate the difference in the sense that you have way more opportunities, but also when you go there for a few days, it's nice to be in a dimension where it's more, uh, you know, smaller scale, you know, pretty much everybody. Um, but I think in terms of impact, um, I think the education system in Italy is quite good in terms of, you know, theory actually that you develop. It's not good from a practical standpoint. So they don't teach you what to do at work, but they teach you in theory what, you know, you should think what you should do. Uh, so when I came here in 2013, I came here to do a master at Imperial College London. I've seen the benefit of you know that education system here. It was a very practical approach, problem solving. And I think it's good to have uh, both elements. I think it's helping me as well in my work today. Mm. I love that. And it's so... Interesting to see when I looked into you and I realized that you did it in Pisa and then Imperial College of London to see the two distinctions. So growing up in, what was that small town area that you were? Viareggio. Viareggio, there you go. Growing (laughs) up in that area, you know, what very small town, everyone knew each other. What do you think that taught you about yourself and the world around you? Like what were some of the key things that you took away from growing up in Viareggio? I mean... I don't know. To be honest, I arrived at the point where I really felt I needed something uh, else, you know, mm. because if you stay there, I think for the very long term, uh, then, uh, you know, you don't have many things to do. It's nice, you know, to be there, to grow up there, because I feel it's a very authentic environment. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of green nature, uh, things that, you know, in a big city you might miss. And uh, I think I'm I'm happy to have had... Uh, childhood there and then uh, you know I've stayed there for a while then for the university I studied in Pisa so I was pretty much traveling all the time Uh, and then I came here to London but I think it's a good place to grow up but uh, in a globalized world as we are now it's important that at a certain point uh, you just look around I don't want you know to push forward the rhetoric of uh, you should go abroad you should travel because otherwise life is pointed I'm not saying that I'm just saying that it's just you meet different people, different cultures, uh, your perspective changes. So for me, it was very important to, because otherwise, you know, if you just stick with the people you grow up with, uh, you don't see many other point of views that could be very relevant. What do you think traveling and coming to the UK and, and, and that kind of thing, what do you think, how do you think that influenced your perspective? I think it influenced my perspective quite a lot because here... When I came, uh, you know, it pretty much opened up a new world. First of all, I been doing, I did some work when I was at Imperial with Imperial Innovations, which is the venture capital company that is quite close to Imperial and other universities here in the UK. And they, let's say, introduced me to this more like a startup world, which was interesting because I got the feeling that, uh, yeah, you know, you're at the, at the right place in the right time. So you just need to 
take the lead and explore something new and there are many opportunities available. Uh, and then, you know, as I said, uh, I met, you know, people from all over the world, from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, India, Saudi Arabia, um, like everywhere, uh, Canada, um, you know, with different cultures, different point of views. And this, I think, helped me out because I like to also learn from, you know, other cultures, um, even in terms of, you know, actually reading uh, the, you know, the, the story of these countries, the literature around that, the philosophy. And the, it's something that for me was very important. And to, you know, sometimes, for instance, when I was in Italy, I thought that some things were just like that because it's normal, right? Everybody pretty much is aligned. But then you see another standpoint, you're like, okay, I might disagree with that, but they, they have a point. Mm. So I like to see things from different perspectives and then try to value all the different points of views in a very objective way. Mm. It's so interesting because looking into you and, and what you've done and, and the, the, the businesses you've founded and all of that, it, it does kind of come back to that point that looking at things quite objectively with your kind of the perspective that you've got now. So talk to us a little bit about your time at Imperial College of London. So not long after that, you started your first business, but what was that time like for you? It was very productive time. I think, uh, so it was a one-year course, Master in Finance, very, um, let's say very focused and intensive course so we had to study quite a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like that we had, as I said, I came from a very theoretical background and there I had the chance to actually meet many people from uh, big corporates that were coming at Imperial, telling us what they were doing, what the job was like. They were very open, you could talk to them. For, my, for me, that was very, very um, important. So my time was between, you know, studying, was like most of my time. Uh, then I was thinking about... Uh, my first uh, company with mm. uh, a co-student of mine. Um, I launched it with a co-student of mine. Uh, and then I was, I mean, reading my things because I also like to, I like to, you know, not only focus on the business uh, side, but also to have my own time where I like to, for instance, play guitar, uh, reading, mm. uh, stuff like that. Mm. I love that. And I think that it's your perspective is so, is so interesting. I say that because, you know, normally when you go to a university like the Imperial College of London, you go off and you get a, if you're studying finance, you go off and get a job at Goldman Sachs or you do, you go, you know, you do something investment banking or, or whatever it is. And, and your thoughts were, hang on a second, how, how can I create a company or how can I create a business that I could offer service offering? You know, where does that mindset come from? Did you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur or? Um, so let me, that's an interesting <laughs> question because I don't necessarily endorse the situation where you are a student, you don't know anything mm. about starting a company and you start a company. <laughs> so looking back, I feel that the best process is a process where you do not want to start a company because I want to be an entrepreneur doesn't mm. mean anything. Mm -mm. It's like, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a billionaire. It's like an completely empty goal, right? So if you want to solve a problem, you're very passionate about something, you can work on that. Then starting a company is a byproduct of it. You should arrive at a point where you're like, oh, okay, I did all these things and now, yeah, unfortunately, I need to start a company because otherwise, you know, I cannot move forward. For me, the approach I would say was a bit of the other way around. At a certain point, we're like, okay, yeah, there are so many companies, it's interesting, let's try to do something. In the end, you know, we did it, it was fine. 
you know, is still going on, yeah. higher grad with uh, other people managing it. Uh, but, you know, I do also see the value of uh, going from university to a corporate, you learn some serious hard skills, you see how existing processes work, and then you think, okay, actually this thing could be done better. So why don't we try to solve this problem? So the first point is this, is to solve a problem. Many times, even at Imperial, I was uh, giving a guest lecture there to like an entrepreneurship class. And I was saying to people, I don't think you should start a company after university because you don't know anything. There are, there are exceptions. So you see, society portrays to you Mark Zuckerberg, Larry <laughs> Page, Elon Musk. You're most likely not going to be like that. So like, that's like the exception. Then there is a 99.9% of people that are starting something and then they're disappointed about that. So I feel that is an important message to give to people. And then if after I've said that someone still wants to start a company, probably is the right guy to do it because he's very you know, determined and uh, might succeed. But I'm not, um, I think I, I'm a big fan of people that are genuine and they try to assess their skill set objectively, and uh, then try to improve what they know before they can start something. So I think my first company was more like whatever. Let's let's start and see what is it. And it was interesting. You know, we raised external funding. We, you know, we were at a certain point where we also opened a company in India. Things were interesting, but uh, you know, it was not uh, the enormous success that we pictured in our mind. Then uh, with Eterna Capital, my second company, it was a more uh, educated approach, meaning that I've been investing in the space for a while myself. It was going well. Uh, I met other people at BlackRock that were also doing the same. We built a framework that helped us discovering the best opportunities in the space. It was working. And then we're like, okay, now let's try to give other people as well the opportunity to leverage the same framework and we launched the fund. But so you see that the process was more of a, uh, trying to create, you know, the structure around something that already works for yourself. Mm. Super interesting. And I think from the outside, so many of us can get blindsided. We think startup world, we think Mark Zuckerberg, we think, you know, whatever it may be. And it's this huge buzz around being an entrepreneur. And I think that you're so spot on when you say that it's it's not for everyone. And even if you are, you know, just finishing your degrees and you're thinking, I just want to go out and start a company. Yeah. But what is the what is what is the problem you're solving and then what are you passionate about that? Also, one important thing is uh, uh, people always like to portray the good side, mm. the success and uh, all this vanity element, right? But on the other side is something which is extremely time-consuming, extremely stressful, right? Mm. Because, uh, uh, you know, if you have uh, your own job and... Uh, you know, you're in a big corporate, yeah, sure, you might miss a deadline. And uh, worse can happen, they will fire you. You'll lose a job, you'll find another job, right? If you're in a situation where you're running a company, investors give you money, you have a lot of pressure from that, and then it's all on your shoulders, like you make a mistake, you fail, these people are not going to be happy. Uh, so it's something where you should factor that in. I think you should have a mindset, at least someone in the team should have a very relaxed, 
mindset and ensuring that uh, you know you push things forward, you always see the positive side. Then you also need someone with a complementary mindset that actually says to that guy, feet on the ground, like, <laughs> like we need to also execute things properly. So you need the right balance. But in terms of, you know, personality, if you're someone that in general is quite uh, calm, not anxious, uh, you're gonna enjoy it more, mm. I think. Mm. What was the experience like for you with Hyatt Grad? That was your first company. What, you know, was your team a mix of the three? What Talk to us a bit about that experience. I mean, it was me and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Krishna, who started this company straight after graduation. He went then back to India and we pretty much set up the tech team there. So the idea was, let's keep the tech team in India. Let's keep the business uh, here in the UK. So here I was doing, I was working with all the main universities such as uh, Oxford, Imperial, Cambridge, all the student groups to try to connect them with uh, corporate startups, SMEs, uh, accelerators for jobs. Uh, the thing with that is uh, you can maybe start with that, but uh, now I see the value of actually being uh, all together in the same place, in particular at the very beginning, because uh, you can get things done faster. And uh, that's it. And then in terms of tech talent, also, if you want to start a tech company, I would recommend you find a tech co-founder because in our case, we were not a tech co-founder. So we thought that, yeah, something quite basic in terms of tech platform, uh, we can outsource that. Yes, you can do that. But someone you hire uh, for uh, such a key, to build such a key component of your company uh, will not have the same commitment of you having, you know, equity, skin in the game. So they were like, we started by not knowing anything. We did many mistakes and uh, we tried to iterate as quickly as possible. And, um, but, you know, it was definitely something that was very helpful for me to learn uh, what to do and what not to do when starting a company. What do you think some of the challenges that you faced taught you about business and about how to run a successful company? Like what advice would you give based on what you've learned from that first company? Uh, as I said, if you want to start a tech company and it's about technology, if you're not a tech co-founder, get a tech co-founder <laughs> and uh, actually that tech guy, you should have something to bring on the table as well, right? I don't know. You're a very experienced guy who can raise millions very easily maybe a very good tech co-founder will come to you otherwise the guy will tell you whatever like mm. if you're just you know polishing a pitch deck probably i can do it myself um so again the main thing is uh, focus on something that you know mm. how to solve don't get uh, dragged by this idea of uh, oh my god i want to start a company why because i want to start a company like i don't know why and then uh, like try to be detached from the message that society wants to give you of what's successful and what's not successful. Try to be coherent with yourself. I think if you are coherent with yourself, regardless from what you do, then uh, you'd, be, you'd be happy. How do we become coherent with ourselves? I think you know uh, deep inside you what you're good at, what you want to do. Uh, then you could be in a period where that specific skill set is not really recognized. For instance, if you were a very good developer uh, a thousand years ago, probably you wouldn't be that useful, right? Um, same thing. There are some uh, specific things that uh, 
were very popular a long time ago that now are no more. So I think try to uh, find, of course, a compromise because life in the end, unfortunately, is a series of compromises where uh, uh, you do something you enjoy and uh, you are not very incoherent with yourself. Let's put it that way. Mm. I love that. And it, it's so interesting to hear about this from you. So let's dive into Eterna Capital. And I want to dive into, you've kind of given us the overview, kind of that that kind of thing, but I want to talk more specifically about the the people you're working with, so the 3X BlackRock employees, how you made that connection, and then the first couple of steps you, steps you took to get it off the ground. Yeah. So I knew uh, Nassim, uh, who was studying with me at Imperial. So we were a uh, uh, co-student. We became very good friends. Uh, we went on holiday together with our girlfriends in Venice. So that was one, it was one of my closest friends here in London. So we were just, you know, meeting and talking about what we were doing. And then we started saying, okay, there's this thing, blockchain. Have you ever invested? Uh, I was actually investing at the time, like in, uh, like it was 2017. So it was the phase of, you know, ICOs, at the beginning of 2017 ICOs, uh, uh, these, uh, let's say, decentralized applications layer built on top of Ethereum. Uh, we started talking about that. We started doing research together, investing a bit together. And then at a certain point, it was like, hey, there are these other two guys at BlackRock which are very interested as well in the space. They've been uh, as well investing. Why don't we meet them? Uh, why don't you meet them? Because you already knew them. <laughs> uh, and so one day we met and uh, I thought that uh, what we could do was to actually put some structure around uh, uh, what we were doing and actually set up a fund that would allow people with a more traditional background to get into exposure into this asset class. Because what is the problem now with blockchain investing in crypto? Investing in blockchain, let's say some people uh, don't want to say investing in crypto. Blockchain <laughs> is the broad word. Uh, is that is like the Wild West, you know, is uh, by some extent unregulated. Uh, uh, there is market manipulation. Uh, uh, adoption is, proper adoption is yet to come. So it's like a very nascent industry where a lot of things are happening. So some people are like, come on, I'm not going to touch that because there are no serious players around. So we were like, okay, can we create a company uh, and bring these very high standards from an asset management standpoint in the blockchain space and uh, allow investors to get exposure to top projects through our fund? Um, and then we were lucky enough to be backed by a few a uh, very early ex early Ethereum employees uh, and then some other high net worth people. So we then launched the fund and uh, we started investing in uh, projects. And given that the industry, you know, is still at the very early stage, in particular in Europe, you don't have at all many funds. Like, you know, probably I can count them on the fingers of my hand, the good ones. Uh, we saw that as an opportunity to establish ourselves as a very serious uh, early player in the space because I think that in the next five to ten years every uh, large financial institution will have a, a blockchain uh, uh, branch uh, where they you know research the industry invest in the industry so we thought that you know there is this massive opportunity do we want to you know say to our kids that yeah this happened and we're just there watching 
we want to be part of it, we think is as big, if not bigger than the internet. And, uh, you know, if you think about like being in the 80s of the internet, you, there are many things, the dot-com bubble is uh, yet to come, but still, if you are a smart player, you add your bets, there is so much uh, you can capture. And I personally like to be in a phase where you are um, looking at what's happening from a technological standpoint, uh, because I'm curious about how society evolves and the blockchain can play a very crucial role, not only in uh, making existing processes more efficient, but even in creating uh, new ways to manage uh, organization themselves. So it has a very uh, strong impact. Fascinating. Where do you think your curiosity comes from? I don't know. In general, I'm uh, curious uh, as a person. I like to explore new things. So when I first learned about Bitcoin, uh, uh, I thought, okay, um, money on the internet, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't really dig deeper. That was like, I first probably heard about that in 2012. But um, then when you actually do some more research and when Ethereum came up and basically said, okay, actually, you know what? You can apply this technology not only to financial transactions, but to pretty much whatever you want. Uh, and then I was like, okay, that's very interesting. And uh, I started researching more into that. And um, without even noticing it, I started, you know, piling up uh, some knowledge, you know, on top of uh, some other older knowledge. And then you realize, okay, now I can pretty much assess whether uh, a product is good or not. This thing that I've built now in terms of due diligence framework makes sense. And uh, that was the time where uh, with my other colleagues as well, we decided to bring it uh, to the next level. Mm. And you most definitely did bring it to the next level. You've had so much interesting success over the last year. Something I'm most curious to understand and learn a bit more about you is your thoughts around getting more curious. So, you know, you said that initially you heard of the idea, you know, the blockchain back in 2012, whatever it was, Bitcoin. And then, you know, over the years, you kind of put together your curiosity grew and you put together this framework, you know, so many of us don't think that way. You know, we just, we kind of go to university or we go to our day jobs and then we come home and then it's the weekend and we do it all over again mm -hmm. on Monday. You know, how can we get to become more curious about things we're interested in or just about life in general? Yeah. So to give an example, right now, take university, right? Uh, what is university? It's not something place where you go to learn is a place where you go to meet people mm. to do things together with them because now with the internet uh, we can connect now and you know uh, enroll to MIT Harvard classes and uh, you are in your bed and it's like you are sitting uh, uh, at MIT right so you have uh, there's a very democratic access to knowledge you can learn whatever you want in your room right what you cannot do you cannot build meaningful relationship with people online. I mean, you can, let's say by some extent, but you see what I mean, right? It's different. So you need to get together with someone. And university is a place where you have people that, uh, uh, let's say, are uh, 
normally, let's say, quite smart, uh, at least, you know, by the normal, uh, let's say, definition of what you think would be smart, the sense that maybe you give them an equation, they can, uh, you know, they can solve it. Uh, so there, are, there, is an end, there is a barrier to entry, that's what I mean. Uh, and then, you know, if there are people that they also, you know, travel from far to go there, they're motivated, they want to do something. So they're very responsive. And I think that's the main value. You just need to leverage that. You need to speak with these people openly. You need to see what are their inclinations. And then uh, uh, if you have something to give to a certain cause, you can do it together. But I don't think it's a place where you actually go uh, to learn. Then, of course, you know, you need to pass your exams. You need to do very well. But that's like a uh, uh, necessary condition, but not sufficient, in my opinion, to make it uh, a good experience. That's like the basic. But in fact, one thing, for instance, coming back to your first questions, that uh, I was very positively impressed uh, when I compared the UK to Italy, positively impressed about the UK, mm. uh, was that, you know, in Italy, people, they go at university and they're like, yeah, I get the first at all the exams and I'm done. That's it. I'm, uh, my family is happy. I say to my friends, they think that I'm smart and it's okay, right? Here, it's like, like that's the basic. <laughs> you do a good job. Then uh, the delta, the, the differentiator is what you do on top of it, right? Um, and I think that's something uh, important. Uh, for instance, in Italy, you have so many intelligent, skillful people that sometimes they're just, you know, in their bubble, academic bubble. They don't do many things while they're studying. And then, you know, you meet a way more mediocre guy from uh, maybe the UK who did all this extracurricular stuff. And uh, they're the same age. And the guy has way better CV and he can get, you know, better jobs. If you, even if you want to start a company, he has more things to show. So is, uh, I mean, I see Italy as a very, you know, like a Ferrari that goes at uh, 50 kilometers per hour just because, <laughs> just for some reason, you know, because the system is like that. <laughs> I love the comparison. And I think that it's, it's so interesting for those of us who have never, you know, been, you know, grown up in Italy or in Southern Europe or whatever it is and, and, and kind of always been in the, the, you know, in a place like the UK or from for myself, Australia. And I think personally, I mean, I'm half Greek. And okay. so, yeah, so there you go. So My I've understood. Is Greek. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so I've always grown, I've grown up in Australia and all of that, but I've had the influence from my mum and she's Greek and she went through the Greek system, the, the, um, the university system. Yeah. And, you know, even when we go back to Greece and whatever it is, seeing how you've got such, as you said, such intelligent people, but almost in their bubble of, you know, this is just the way it is. And I don't really have to go the extra mile or why would I do that? you know, do that extra additional thing because my grades are all that matter or, you know, my work is all that matters. And I think it's just so fascinating to see that different mindset and where it really does limit you. So I guess my question to you is how do we get into a mindset that doesn't limit us? I don't think you have to. I mean, you can Mm -hmm. just do whatever you're comfortable with. There are people that are very happy about having a nine to five Mm -hmm. job having that stability and then uh, it's Friday evening and they're Mm. like, okay, now for two days, I don't have to think about anything. And they're happy about that. You should not force yourself to do things 
you don't like. Mm. If you're comfortable with that, there is no problem in doing it. Everyone is telling you like, oh my God, nine to five is like, come on, like, are you an idiot while you're doing that? <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, mm -hmm. you should be grateful that uh, you have a job. Many people don't have a job. Many people, uh, you know, they think from that standpoint, right? We should try not to be, I think, every time in our bubbles, right? Because even London is a massive bubble, right? We're very privileged. Very privileged to be in London. Very privileged to be born in a developed part of the world, right? We live in a world where two-thirds of the population is outside the financial system. Like, what are we talking about? And the problem is a nine-to-five job is not good because you should be successful and you should be an entrepreneur. Like, come on, you know, do whatever you want. They should not, uh, also if you start a company, you need people to work nine to five, <laughs> you know, for you. So it's not that uh, everyone should be the copy paste of uh, yourself, assuming you have this attitude. So I think you should really not push yourself too hard to be what you're not, and then you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So why did you decide that entrepreneurialism and building companies was the path for you? I think given the personality I have and uh, who I am, you know, and uh, the inclinations I have, it was something very natural to me. Mm. I'm the kind of person that could not do the nine to five style, but not because what I'm doing is better than a nine to five job. It's just, I cannot do it. I, I wasn't able to, when I did it, I was like, no, like I, I didn't feel <laughs> well. I prefer a situation where I'm always on because mm. I'm always on, of course but I have the flexibility to do what I want. So if I want to, you know, one day start uh, later or I want to, you know, I, I mean, I can adjust my days I want. Then I know that uh, I probably even work on a Sunday, Saturday, Sunday night uh, is uh, Christmas and we have to do something, we do it. So there is no, um, there is no line to basically divide between uh, your work and your life. This doesn't mean you don't have a work-life balance or this kind of thing. It means that uh, you do what something that you like is like, for instance, as I said, I'm curious. I like to be into what's next from a technological standpoint. So it's something that I would have researched anyway. I like to go and speak with these people and learn what uh, what are they doing. It's something that is generally interesting for me. I like to see different companies and say, oh, okay, why they do that? What is the different approach they have? And uh, it's not a burden for me mm. to do it. Um, doesn't mean I only do that. I also enjoy to do many other things, right? But uh, you see what I mean. Is uh, But it's just me. Mm. I love that. How do we get to know ourselves better? You say, it's just me. This is how I am. You know, how do we get to know ourselves? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more, no, more hard questions. Going. I think that... Uh, uh, wherever you are born, you are always subject to so many influences, right? Your family, the culture you live in, society. And basically, you know, if you take a kid, try to take like a one-year-old kid, it's like a black canvas. You can put whatever you want in that brain, right? And you'll influence the life of that person forever. So what I think is uh, the first step should be when you will have a kid to have a uh, the lowest possible influence on him and uh, try to just be, you know, uh, a vessel that will make him or her grow and develop and then try, you know, to listen to the inclination of uh, that small child and uh, 
try to you know create a, a situation where he can uh, uh, express himself or herself then if you have that it's easier mm-hmm. because you get to know yourself better if you are in a, there are some things that you know they tell you okay things that are like this one two three four that's it you want to be part of uh, the system you do this you don't want to do this get out <laughs> of the system so in that situation uh, of course is more difficult but even there you can still find uh, uh, your way to develop within the context that you live in because of course i was also you know based on you know where i live the people i met the family one important thing you don't choose your family right it's something that happens to you boom and you can be lucky you can be unlucky right so uh you should try to uh maybe you know if you're a parent to be like as i said a vessel for your kid to develop if you are uh, like a person that is growing up you should understand that uh, uh, whatever they taught you is subject to many factors which are completely random the fact that i'm born in italy is random i could have been born in uh, uh, brazil in france in the uk i was born in italy okay so whatever came from that context is something that is subject to that context itself so try to have a more uh, let's say take whatever you learn but then you know have an objective view and say okay there's so many other things right let's try to compare whatever they taught me with other things and then if what my mother or my father uh, told me when i was four years old then maybe i speak with someone i, I understand is wrong and mm-hmm. you should be humble enough to say yeah th- this is probably something that is more in line with who i am so i think you just put down your defenses and you try to assess things in the most uh, honest way possible uh, with yourself regardless from uh, all the influences you get from the outside. Ah, oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I could not agree more. I think it's taking away those barriers. It's just peeling everything back, all everything you've learned from your family, from where you grew up or whatever it is, and just looking at things objectively and going, okay, is this what I actually like to do? Is this what I really want for my life? Which yeah. is, it, it's super interesting that you say that. And I, yeah, I really do agree. Oh, okay. Wow. So before we start to come to the close, I want to ask you a couple more questions around your business and the failures and challenges you've had. You know, I think so many of us, as we said before, we don't talk about the dark side of entrepreneurship. We don't talk about the failures. We just talk about the glossy, amazing stuff. So with the Turner Capital, what has been one of your greatest challenges making that happen and getting that off the ground? Yeah. So first of all was to uh, deal with a financial system which is not yet ready for a blockchain to develop in a certain way. In the UK, for instance, if you want to uh, open a bank account and you are a blockchain company, is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Is a nightmare. I'm not mention uh, any names, but there are some banks. I say among the proactive banks that uh, might open to you an account because some they're like no like not 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 even try <laughs> the ones that they do uh, they have a system where uh, they basically automatically they scan your application form and if they read the word blockchain then that application should be approved by the head office there's a very you know tedious process so for us to do things properly uh, and uh, navigating that was uh, quite complex 
finding a bank account for uh, blockchain companies is really difficult. And I think it shouldn't be. Uh, there is a lot of stigma around it. Uh, uh, some systems like financial system are scared about that, but they see, I mean, probably it's just because it's early, but it will develop. That was tough. And then, I mean, we launched the, the fund uh, in the bear market, in the deep bear market. Mm. So it was not, of course, easy. Uh, you were speaking with people and they were like, uh, ah, okay, uh, Bitcoin is down uh, 15% today. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's never going to recover. Or like, I don't want to touch it now. Let's get it, you know, sink to the bottom and then maybe I'll touch it. There is this uh, counterintuitive uh, narrative that people, they are happy to buy uh, assets at a high price. So when the price is going up. So don't worry that when Bitcoin is going to break $20,000 again, people are going to ask you again, uh, Hi, Andrea, uh, do you remember we <laughs> met? Uh, how can I now invest in the fund? Uh, but in a phase where, you know, Bitcoin is at $3,000, people are very skeptical and they don't want to touch it. Whereas, you know, there, of course, you have so much upside compared to situation where you break all-time highs. Uh, so, you know, dealing with investors as well was uh, uh, difficult at that point. Um, but I think, you know, we, as a team, we are very balanced. Let's say I have my own personality. The other three uh, founding partners, they have, you know, other personalities. We are very complementary to each other. So if you sum up the four... Uh, it comes out uh, a balanced person. <laughs> <laughs> we love the balanced yeah. person. Yeah. Super cool. Okay, great. Well, look, Andrea, you've you've accomplished so much in the last couple of years. You know, since launching your the fund in May of last year, you've received so much press coverage. You've been talked about by the likes of Forbes, Bloom, um, Bloomberg, Coin, CoinDesk, Financial News, The Investment Week. And Eterna Capital has recently been listed by Forbes as one of the top three investment funds operating in the blockchain space, which is absolutely huge. So I just want to commend you on that. And <laughs> I, want to, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for always going after what you care about, for going against the grain, for just, go, for just sticking to your guns and for making things happen for yourself. It's super cool to see. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Great. So our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? <laughs> I mean, we discussed that at length. <laughs> <laughs> For the whole episode. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, is uh, the only thing that matters, right? Do things that you like, otherwise, w what are you doing? So, no, I mean, one thing also I want to say is uh, uh, we're very spoiled and very privileged, again, you know, that we can ask ourselves these mm. questions because there are certain parts of the world, and even in this part of the world in other periods, where uh, if you had uh, some food on the table uh, at night, you were lucky, right? So there, don't worry that it's not about, uh, oh, realize your full potential, <laughs> you should pursue your, your dreams. No, you, you should, you know, get things together. Maybe you have uh, uh, small kids to take care of, you have a wife, whatever. And uh, so I'm saying always, uh, whatever you do, uh, think about uh, the, what's happening around you. 
you know, don't be in a bubble. Uh, think that uh, there are many people that they don't have what you think is very average, very mediocre, very just, you know, nothing. So then once you have acknowledged that, um, carry it with you and uh, try, you know, to do things that are um, positive for society, given that, you know, what is your lifespan on earth? Like 80 years, if you're in uh, 90 years, if you're lucky. So it's a relatively short uh, time frame. And, uh, you know, people feel like they like to think like they're living forever, right? Whenever they take decisions, but they're not. So the good thing for me about acknowledging that is you do not have much to lose anyway, because you lose it all at a certain point anyway. So try to, you know, break all the barriers, uh, be free and uh, uh, try to be good with people. I love it. Andrea, Andrea, ladies and gentlemen, we've had an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people learn more about you and Eterna Capital? Uh, our website is easy, eternacapital.com. Then they can follow me on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, I mean, Facebook as well, but I normally don't share <laughs> Eterna Capital stuff. Uh, sometimes I do, but mm. it's more like personal. So, yeah. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Once again, Andrea, we've had a blast. Thanks so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Piers to Piers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>